Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, which delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 107, Birth Control and Natural Cycle Support Part 2. We are pumped to be back on all things women's periods and natural alternatives to birth control. Yes. So we left off last episode with some pearls of managing the cycle in terms of bad cramps. And you really briefly introduced the concept of the daisy, which by the way, I ordered mine like the second we got (laughs) off of that recording. Um, So I'm so excited it's coming this week. Uh, But it's a smart basal body thermometer that um, has 99.6% accuracy in fertility awareness. And it can be used both for prevention or um, for proactive measures if we're trying to get pregnant, which is amazing. Um, And then a couple couple of other big highlights, I guess, from last episode for me was um, the discussion of how your period when on birth control isn't a real period. Um, There's no It's just, you know, you're just shedding uterine lining. It's pretty wild. So, so much good stuff. If you haven't listened to that episode, guys, go back to 106 before you jump in here. Yes. And we also covered the connection of how your cycle, how your menstruation really tells us so much about your overall health. In fact, it's called a cardinal signal of health by OBGYNs and now acknowledged as a huge connection of how managed our stress access is, our micronutrient status, and risk for autoimmune disease or distress in the body. We had a big aha hit on also, I think, how birth control can drive imbalance on the other end of the spectrum. So, you know, both of how your menstruation can tell us feedback about the body and overall health status, but also how the use of, we talked about oral birth control, we talked about IUDs, we talked about the depo shot, all different forms and how they can drive imbalance in the body, driving nutrient deficiency, impacting unfavorably the microbiome and the gut integrity lining, as well as the acute, well, actually chronic, I suppose, inflammatory reactions of IUDs and the mechanism of how they work, and then how all these forms of birth control can drive hormone imbalance, which can then perpetuate infertility and imbalance in the body's stress access, and ultimately how birth control can really just kind of silence a main feedback mechanism of our body of understanding that health litmus, if you will. Sure. So again, if you guys missed it, it's pure gold. Go back to, I always think our episodes are pure gold, but this is a really, <laughs> really yeah, stellar yeah. one. Um, but pure gold in episode 106, um, we talk about Allie's opinion on seed cycling and um, how to transition, support your body when you do go off birth control so you don't feel like you're going off cold turkey into the unknown. Um, and then, yes, shock and awe of what birth control does in the body and natural safety alternatives that are not going to mess with your body's rhythm and can help you to actually understand your rhythm and regulate it. 
Absolutely. So we left off in the last conversation on basal temperature tracking. I really kind of forced it in there. (laughs) And um, because I didn't want to leave everyone hanging, I I promised you guys that I would not just talk about scary stuff of, you know, why birth control sucks, but I would give you some solutions. So I did give you guys a little bit on temperature tracking and what that tells us about the body, um, how it can be used and, you know, when off what your period is, is telling us about the body. But I want to start deeper into the discussion of menstruation, what the four phases are of menstruation, and then we'll go a little bit deeper into why your period might be off and how we can get it back on track, as well as more details and a more relaxed conversation, hopefully, about the fertility awareness method. So we'll see if we can fit it into a part two, but I'm sensing a part three (laughs) in the future or taking one of these topics and expanding for sure. Um, But that's a lot right there, Allie. So maybe before we talk about understanding how to use the rhythm of the body as natural birth control, I would love for us to just go ahead and break down the phases of a woman's cycle. What's happening during different times of the month? Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's start with when we're counting our cycle, day one is always the first day of our period or menstruation. And this tends to be on average about one to five days or so. When we're talking about following, we talked a little bit in 106 about following the moon, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And this has been for really thousands of years, this connection of the woman's body wanting to follow the moon and this gravitational pull. And we talked about if not menstruating that you can use the moon calendar actually to balance out this follicular and luteal phase in the body. So the new moon, um, you know, where there's really no moon scene, the, the kind of black moon, if you will, is what we think of as menstruation. And it generally lasts, as I said, days one through five. Progesterone drops dynamically, and this is what actually drives the breakdown and the bleeding of the uterine lining. And the progesterone drops in light of an unfertilized, unimplanted egg, right? And so what happens during menstruation is that the cervix actually is quite firm. Um, it, it is low, um, and it allows blood flow to come out. And then we get that shedding of that uterine lining that doesn't need that thickening for a fertilized egg implantation. And again, what perpetuates menstruation is a dynamic drop in progesterone. So that's the first one to five days. Then we go into the beginning of what would be a proliferative phase or a growth phase. And this is the follicular phase. Um, so this happens around day five or six. And it lasts about seven to 10 days. So this could take us into like days six through 14, give or take of our cycle. And this is driven by the pituitary. So remember, we referenced in so many episodes, the HPA axis, which stands for hypothalamus pituitary adrenals. And this stands for our hypothalamus and pituitary, our two glands in our brain, And they regulate our fight or flight mode, which the adrenal glands, which sit above our kidneys, get stimulated as the downstream effect from reactive stress response or in a regulatory balanced, not distressed body, um, we're going to get stimulation of the hypothalamus and pituitary to the thyroid and also to the ovaries in women or the gonads in men. And so this is where we would call it the HPO access in reference of today's episode, hypothalamic pituitary ovarian. 
So already in this follicular phase, again, right after towards the tail end of your cycle, the pituitary gland in the brain makes our FSH, and this stands for our follicular stimulating hormone. What this does is it stimulates follicles, which contain our eggs, um, and it, it particularly focuses on one ovary to mature. Um, and then it starts to release towards the tail end of this, your luteinizing hormone, which promotes ripening and release. And that's what's going to peak in this ovulatory phase three. So follicular is basically about the follicles becoming stimulated, the one ovary starting to mature. And um, then we're going to see during this time, um, estrogen and testosterone starting to, to increase. Estrogen always precedes progesterone. Um, so estrogen will start to increase during this phase. Testosterone might go up a little bit, especially from where it was during the active period. And this can start to increase libido, which is of course essential for that ovulation mm -hmm. time to stimulate pregnancy. And you might start to see a little bit of discharge during this follicular phase. Um, and that tends to tie to healthy egg production. So when I'm talking to women about their hormones, I'm often asking about vaginal discharge this would not be the thick mucus, which we'll talk about coming later in, in the phases. This would be just like a, a, a white discharge, which would be a little bit more like, um, like a creamy, flakier. Okay. Well, no, egg no, weight's coming. That's, yep, that's, that's going to be that elasticized. Yep. yep. So this is just like the like kind of like, uh, for lack of, sorry, ladies, like a, <laughs> like a cream cheese. <laughs> this is just a white creamy discharge that could be a little bit drier. Um, but that is a sign of a, of a healthy egg. It also could be a sign of bacterial vaginosis if it has a foul odor and whatnot. But or generally speaking, itching or yeah, coloration. But we want yeah, but, white right. cream cheese. Cream cheese. No, but yeah, not that much. But yeah, there could be a little bit of discharge, and that could be a sign of healthy eggs. Okay, awesome. So all of this is going on like behind the scenes, and then we get to ovulation. So what happens there? So phase three is ovulatory, and this is a short period. So it's only about two to three days. This would be associated with the full moon. So remember, new moon is the period. That's when we're shedding the lining. Follicular phase is kind of like the, the, the ripening and baking, if you will, or the preparation phase. And then in ovulatory phase, this is about two to three days. It's associated with the full moon. There's a surge of luteinizing hormone. And this causes that dominant follicle that was ripening or maturing to open and release that egg into the fallopian tube. And the egg can survive for 12 to 24 hours in which it can be fertilized or it will die. And then that's what's going to pass us on to kind of these, these next phases. There are changes during ovulation um, to the cervix. In fact, it actually gets a little bit softer. It moves up higher. This is something new that I learned, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, rather than it lowering to like catch sperm, it actually mm -hmm. moves up higher like a defense mechanism. Um, it does open, but it moves up higher so that the healthiest sperm get to the egg. So Strongest like the, swimmers. the best swimmer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and this is the phase where you'll have more of that viscous egg white um, discharge. This might be the only time when some women notice that cervical fluid, if you will. Um, and what that does is that helps to pull sperm up like a, like a rubber band. It's very elasticized, kind of stickier. And um, during this phase, you would also see a surge of libido. There should actually be sensory enhancement, higher orgasm 
orgasm and typically favorable emotional surges as well, like higher creativity and um, generally um, more joy and less anxiousness. Awesome. And then we get to our fourth phase. Luteal. Yes. So the luteal phase follows ovulation. And this is going to be also a longer phase, kind of like the follicular, but but um, this is going to last even double that, about 12 to 16 days. Um, optimal range of luteal is about 14 days. So this is going to fall probably around days 12 through 28 of your cycle or so. Um, and this is going to be, again, post-ovulation. Some people don't ovulate until days 13 or 14. It kind of just depends. Um, but it's going to fall post-ovulation. And what happens is your follicular stimulating hormone and your luteinizing hormone drop dramatically. So both FSH and LH drop and your estrogen and testosterone are going to also gradually decline as the released egg starts to produce progesterone. So progesterone is heat inducing. It's actually what's called thermogenic. I started to loosely kind of put that out there last episode. Um, So this is the, the kind of impact that's really important to understand. So progesterone is thermogenic. It drives heat in the body. Um, And so our temperature actually raises as a basal body temperature for the remainder of the luteal phase. Um, Generally speaking, the cervical fluid will lose its egg white elastic um, type tendencies and it might um, become a little bit more sticky, but it's no longer considered that like fertile cervical fluid. It actually at this point will kind of block the passage of sperm. And progesterone is the hormone that, when increased, of course, will stimulate the growth of the lining. This is what supports healthy implantation. Progesterone is one of the primary hormones that would be to blame with miscarriage if it's insufficient. Um, And so once that egg has been fertilized, progesterone surges in this luteal phase, and that's going to help the lining of the uterus and prep for pregnancy. And then again, that's what dynamically drops to provoke a menstruation cycle if there is not a fertilized egg. Um, So the second phase, the luteal phase, because it's so long, again, about 14 days in length, the second phase um, is when estrogen will actually slightly rise to prep for pregnancy. But if no pregnancy, both estrogen and progesterone will drop. And that's what drives that shedding of of the uterine lining. And that's often when that estrogen kind of pre-picks up, that's when PMS kicks in, like days 23 to 28 of your cycle. And we tend to have lowest endorphins, more pain susceptibility, and that's when mood is not optimal. (laughs) Got it. Okay. That's so, so much. Our bodies are so freaking cool for lack of a better word. There's just so much going on. (laughs) Yeah. And that's where women will also experience like, you know, a little bit of breast tenderness presetting their cycle, that little secondary surge of estrogen. Um, But again, it's predominantly progesterone that's driving this curve. And so when we're using like bioidentical uh, progesterone, we're going to typically use that like days 12 through 28 of the cycle to help to support that luteal phase. Exactly. Um, And you and I always talk about we can tell when we're off our progesterone (laughs) because – Yeah. Yeah. You know, in terms of sleep and anxiety and and all the things, and I'm sure we'll get into more bioidenticals, but I want to make sure we address this because I think a lot of women, at least when I talk to them, you know, in clinic in an initial intake, we ask a lot of questions about their cycle, especially if they are, you know, wanting to get pregnant and of a fertile age um, or not. Um, But 
we ask them a lot of questions about their cycle. And I think a lot of times women aren't tracking or don't really know how many days they're pregnant. And they're just like, oh, it's regular. You know, it comes every month. And it's like, what what should actually be happening? How many days should we be looking at? What's ideal? So, yeah. So, and I think it's confusing language of like, how long are you actively menstruating or bleeding versus the length of your cycle? So when we're talking about the length of the cycle, we're talking about from day one of your period until the end or the day before day one of your next period, right? So actually a healthy cycle is quite a large range. It can be anywhere from 26 days. If it's shorter than 26 days, likely the female is not ovulating. Um, And it can be upwards of 35 days. So the, the biggest thing that we actually look for as an optimal cycle length is that 14-day luteal phase, which is that time frame to allow a potentially fertilized egg, assuming that the woman has ovulated, um, to travel from the ovary, you know, down that fallopian, so through that fallopian tube to, to get fertilized and then down um, to implant in the uterus and have enough progesterone to withhold a full 14-day window, not get that early breakthrough bleeding. So um, it really depends on how many days you you menstruate, which is going to influence then the days of your actual length of cycle. So if you menstruate or have active bleeding for six to seven days, which could be healthy, um, as long as you have a 14-day luteal phase towards that tail end, that's going to be fine. And then there still could be some variability in that follicular phase, the phase that is phase two. Remember, that can range anywhere from seven to 10 days. So, you know, if you're on the longer end of all these phases, 35 could be normal. On the shorter end of all these phases, 26 could be normal. But again, if you're longer or shorter, that probably means that you're not ovulating. But either way, just tracking on a calendar is not going to give us a scientific assessment of if you are ovulating. And that's important to note as well. Right. So you can't just pick up your calendar or even an app where you are tracking just the date that your cycle starts. Um, You really need to look for those symptom and biological, physiological shifts in your body and track those as well. Yes, for sure. So, you know, I think a lot of people say that day 14 is peak ovulation, um, you know, or, you know, I, I had used Kindara as an app prior mm-hmm. to using the Daisy and I get these little like stars. Um, and, you know, actually that's what I, I had been using calendar tracking um, to help with fertility and my infertility story. But now knowing deeper down the rabbit hole, if you will, about this thermogenesis and how we can use the basal body temperature as well as watching for, I I had some knowledge of, you know, that egg white cervical fluid being the, um, you know, indicative of ovulation, but, um, you know, there's, there's so many variables to be mindful of. So basal temperature is really the, the tightest way of knowing. And we can even see confusing things like mid-cycle spotting, which can be a sign of actually egg implantation. Um, It could actually be a sign of pregnancy. Um, Mid-cycle spotting can be seen just from that release of the egg. Um, And mid-cycle spotting can be seen from intensive sex, you know, I mean, yep. Yep. you know, <laughs> shake it up some stuff. So, I mean, you can, you can have a little bit of spotting and bleeding that isn't per se a period and doing basal body temperature will really tell you again, if you're ovulating and not just looking at the four stars in the middle of the length of your cycle. But, you know, generally speaking, we look at four days from the peak day 
And the peak day is going to be the last, you know, wet day, if you will, of the higher cervical fluid output. Um, and you'd want to wait that before having unprotected sex if you're looking at avoiding pregnancy. Um, because there is potentiality of sperm living up to five days in the body. Um, and then remember, ovulation really occurs only that one to two days after that peak day. Um, and so sometimes it can occur on the same day as the peak day. So that gives you about a six-day confidence interval of times to abstain or bring in a goalie or hit it like rabbits if you're uh -huh. looking for fertility. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh my God, so awesome. Even okay. though that's controversial, actually, you don't want to dilute the sperm. You're only supposed okay. to have sex like max twice a day if you're trying to get pregnant. Okay. And Good. some some people say every other day, but you know. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> so it seems like this can be a little bit um, sticky for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, this is such a fun episode and, you know, it's subjective. So we may not be um, totally reading all the signs of our body right. So it's right. really helpful to have that objective data, like we said, with basal body tracking. So let's get into what basal body temperature, what changes, you said progesterone is thermogenic, um, and mm -hmm. tell me what changes, why, and how we're going to look at that. Yeah. So the basal body temperature is your first temperature upon awakening. And um, before you ovulate, your waking temperature should be somewhere between like 97 degrees to like 97.7. Um, a day or two after ovulation, um, there'll typically be a rise at least several tenths of a degree, and that will stay elevated until your next period. And then post-ovulatory temperatures are going to rise to 97.8 or higher. Um, and this is caused by that progesterone peak, which happens from that release of the egg. So if you were to become pregnant, your basal temperature would remain high because progesterone is surging to help to create a healthy implantion in the uterus and that thickening of the lining. Um, and a basal thermometer, very different from like a thermometer you'll get at CVS or, um, you know, whatever drugstore, um, it's going to measure temperature in hundredths of a degree. Um, so it's going to be much more detail oriented. And um, you'll know you're ovulating again by that increase in the basal temperature. So again, you can have a period even off birth control, but not be ovulating. So this is a really great thing to know, you know, as we're waiting later in our 30s and so to um, plan pregnancies and whatnot um, so that your OBGYN doesn't give you that look of shame of like, what are you waiting for? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's nice to know that you are ovulating right. if you see that temperature change. And then it's nice to have that confidence interval of actually when you can get pregnant so that you can have more intimate sexual relationship with your partner. So you don't have to quote unquote pull out or, you know, use condoms and things like that on the times that you guaranteed can't get pregnant. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's this concept again, that sperm can live in the body for up to five days and an unfertilized egg can only live for 24 hours. So, you know, there's this perfect condition window that, that comes and goes. And when that's passed, there's hundred percent confidence interval that you cannot get pregnant. I think that's just so cool and so empowering and also something that's going to put your partner at ease if, you know, <laughs> they get the green light or the red light on Daisy or what have you. But I just think it's such a cool um, 
not concept, it's not like a new thing, but a, a very cool concept um, and just gives us that much more, again, autonomy and, and ability to whether we're doing this to get pregnant or to not get pregnant um, really allows you to take control of your body so much more so than birth control, right? It's yeah. Like, you yeah. learn about your body right. versus putting a Band-Aid on your body and exactly. silencing your body. And the issue we talked about in episode 106 is that unfortunately – you know, even if you're not experiencing side effects of birth control, you are driving suboptimal fertility. So even if you start at a period, even if you start ovulating within a month of getting off birth control, I highly recommend at least three months, if not six months of reset, because there are so many nutrient deficiencies that correspond with pregnancy complications, Um, you know, resetting the microbiome, getting your body back on track and balanced is really important. And so this way you're able to see if your body's off, how you can resolve from the root cause. So awesome. Um, So once you start tracking for, you probably want, like you said, a couple of months of trends that are strong enough to remove that goalie or to stop pulling out. Um, That makes me a little anxious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anything that we should be aware of um, that could mess things up or um, anything to keep in mind when we are doing the basal temperature tracking? Yeah. So it's important to like, I keep the daisy on my nightstand. Um, and it's important to measure consistently the first thing when waking up, um, you know, be mindful that if we're talking about more than a three hour variance, um, that we're talking about such specific temperatures, two tenths of a degree, right? Your body temperature goes up about two tenths of a degree per hour. So you don't want to have brushed your teeth. You don't want to have, you know, made coffee or blah, blah, blah. You want to make sure it stays on your nightstand first thing upon waking and you're literally like laying in bed to take it. Um, and be mindful that if you sleep differently, like let's say you get up at 7 a.m. for work, but you sleep until 11 a.m. I don't remember those days anymore having a child now, but some people uh, still do that. Um, then that's going to be a variance as well. So you want to be mindful ideally within a three-hour window and then also immediately upon rising. So you know, if you did sleep in until 9, that would still be absolutely accurate if you're getting up at 6.30 or so on a work day. So that would be fine. Um, if you take a thyroid medication, you want to make sure you take your thyroid medication after collecting your body temperature because that also can influence the body, the basal body temperature. Same thing as far as drinking water. Like if you have a cold glass of water on your nightstand, sure. that could, of course, influence your metabolic temperature on a basal level. And then if you had higher amounts of alcohol or sugar, this can increase your temperature um, so interestingly enough, when we recommend carb cycling, it's after this, this window. So that should not interfere for those people that are doing keto and doing carb cycling. Um, I have not seen a, a false elevation at that time. Um, I'm always seeing the ovulation earlier and then, um, variance in sleep quality. Like if you just had a really crap night of sleep, um, tossing and turning all night long, that could mean that the basal temperature is going to be a little bit elevated as well. Gotcha. So a lot of things to consider. And then using the daisy, like we said, you get the red and the yellow light. How does that all work? How, how does their magical? Yeah. So they work? use they use an algorithm. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I love, again, the confidence interval of like the color spectrum, right? Um, so this helps to provide fertile and infertile day information with a red, meaning that you are fertile. So, you know, 
bring in defense if you are going to have intercourse or abstain, or again, have sex if you're looking to get pregnant. Um, Yellow, it will give you as it's starting to learn your body. So that's a really good thing. We talk about like the first two to three months, probably having a defense mechanism at play um, so that this can really get to know the variances within your body and, and have that confidence interval. And then green means no chance of pregnancy um, with intercourse. And so that's kind of a green light means go. Um, and so like I, I was saying in episode 106, it's that nice confidence interval. A lot of, you know, basal um, body temperature tracking is not a new technology. This has been used by many churches in this, you know, fertility awareness method. But there's so many like paper charts and drawing these lines of correlation. And I just, I'm not an engineer. Um, I, it's not in my nature or makeup to want to do that. And even adding my basal temperature into an app manually, there's just that that possibility of error or sure. distraction. I just really like that confidence of, of having this as a tool. And, um, you know, when we're talking about that temperature of two tenths of a degree for ovulation, um, I, I like to have the color code. And so I'll be putting in the notes today a referral code and we'll probably do some like promo on Instagram. So make sure you check that out. Um, but I have an affiliate code with Daisy because I've just been so jazzed about kind of like yelling it from the rooftop. Mm -hmm. Um, and it'll save you $20 (laughs) on your, um, basal smart thermometer device. And you can use your cycle, your body and your choice to really be in control and understand where your body is at. So, so awesome. And like I said, I already went out and <laughs> got mine. I think it's actually being delivered today or tomorrow. Um, so I'm pumped, but I'm definitely going to give this method a try. I mean, just even as a functional practitioner, you know, I use bioidentical progesterone. We test our hormones every six months or so, both Allie and myself do. Um, and um, just, you know, knowing that I could still be having a cycle that's like semi pretty regular like clockwork and not be ovulating. I want to know, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm not, I want to go and, you know, intervene for sure, because I do intend at some point to have a kid. I'll probably not tomorrow, but <laughs> anyway. Um, so I think this is going to be such a game changer, at least for myself personally. I can't wait to give feedback. On for sure. Um, Knowledge is power. Yes. Yeah, exactly. for sure. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about why someone's hormones might be off in the first place. And let's get into a little bit more on how to reset after birth control um, and what the period's telling us in the first place. So we hit a lot of this um, in our first episode, just what a period is, why it happens, when it happens. Um, but let's just go into um, maybe why hormones would be off in the first place and and some of the symptoms of like lighter cycle, heavier cycle, et cetera. Yep. So we hit heavier cycle a lot in 106 and talked about, you know, basically ramping up anti-inflammatory support. So inflamazyme enzyme, which is in our line that has proteolytic enzymes to help to break down tissue buildup. That also is a great tool we use with infertility for fibroids, women that have fibroids. It is so powerful. Um, and so heavier cycle, inflamazyme is a big tool, super turmeric, EPA, DHA extra, and relax and regulate. And I use those and pulse them up at higher dosages, like two to three days leading up to the cycle to help with both thinning the blood, reduction of clots, 
and um, serving as a natural anti-inflammatory so you don't have to go for that Aleve or, you know, many women because of their heavy cycles are on naproxen sodium or, you know, prescription-based NSAIDs. So using natural compounds are going to be a really helpful way to reduce inflammation, reduce cramping and pain, as well as, um, you know, really provide a little bit more of a pleasant experience during that cycling. Now, if we're talking about a lighter cycle, these can be due to two things. One can be that the woman's hormones are off. It can actually be low levels of estrogen and progesterone, because remember, estrogen kind of re-revs towards the end. Um, and then we can also see low levels of iron. So a lot of women are like, woohoo, I got off my birth control. My cycle's so easy now. <laughs> yeah, but it's it might be. Long. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, two to three days, hardly even need to wear a tampon. That's very common, actually. And that's because you've been suppressing your body's endogenous or your internal hormone production with exogenous external hormones. So you've told your body that it doesn't need to make hormones. And so you have low level of hormone production. Um, and so that's very common. You haven't ovulated in a while. Your body isn't surging sexual hormone. So you want to look for, you know, getting the cycle back up to being a little bit more robust. And then the other reason outside of hormones would be low iron. If you don't have the red blood cells to shed, to create that cyclical impact, um, you know, like in a state of anemia, we might see also a lower blood flow. And then we can also see high levels of stress and cortisol interfering with suppression of our estrogen levels. Um, and this can be seen with uh, over-exercising and over-restrictive eating. These can shut down our sexual hormone performance. Basically, the body goes into HPA axis response, right? Like exercising drives cortisol. So the ovarian and thyroid impacts get suppressed. Um, and this is often a transition we see with people that are new to keto, actually. Um, you know, they'll start to reduce substantially their food intake. And um, they might also pick up like a CrossFit or a new exercise output because they start feeling that keto high. And then they get suppression of sexual hormone, which could be seen in breakthrough bleeding or just shortened cycles. Um, and uh, we can also see reduction of estrogen because they're metabolizing their body fat storage. And, and on the other end, they can get heavier cycles for that reason. So I got a whole episode coming on keto and women's hormones and how that influences output. But generally speaking, light cycle could mean not enough sexual hormone. It can be definitely seen in transition of birth control. It can also be seen in the state of adrenal fatigue beyond over HPA axis. If we don't have enough DHEA, that's the precursor to estrogen. So if we don't have enough of our precursor, we don't have enough hormone production. Sure. And so that person might want to consider doing a neurohormone panel to assess if those light cycles continue for, sure. for a couple of months. Um, yeah, so for sure. I think I learned this from you, Allie, that a more like rust colored blood or higher clotting period can actually indicate low progesterone as well. Is that right? Yes. So you can see this with estrogen dominance um, because remember estrogen peaks towards the end of that luteal phase and it's a proliferative driver of the uterine lining basically. So you'll get with estrogen dominance peaking, um, which could be just that estrogen surge because you don't have enough progesterone. So that means that you're going to see a dominant relationship hit and that's where you'll see uterine lining that's dynamically thickened or breast tenderness bloating. Um, you might see a surge of acne during that PMS time with that estrogen peak um, or like stubborn belly fat or migraine headaches. 
Um, we can also see a delayed dip in progesterone driving that rust-colored blood or not enough dynamic of a drop. If you didn't have progesterone in ample stores to peak, then you're not getting that dynamic slewing effect. Um, and that's what's going to drive that nice, bright, red-colored blood. So often when people are in low progesterone mode they're, and they start a bioidentical progesterone, they'll notice that variance within their output, less clotting and um, turning from more of a brown rust colored blood to a bright red. Um, and that means that the progesterone level is more optimized. So we can definitely see that. And we can also see very low progesterone levels because they're not keeping that lining intact driving more spotting or breakthrough. And, and this is that same connection to stress. If the body is in chronic fight or flight mode, it's going to suppress its progesterone. It's going to stimulate the adrenals. And that's where we can get the lack of that ovulatory support. Um, it's called the pregnenolone steal. And this is where the body takes its steroid building hormone the hormones that make progesterone, which are needed at highest demand in that phase four of our period, and they steal all of that progesterone to make cortisol. And that can definitely interfere with our hormone balance. That can definitely cause more of a breakthrough bleed um, and can interfere with sexual hormone balance and feedback. But again, I think we need to kind of segregate that into a whole nother episode. <laughs> yep. yep. So to come, we'll do um, HPO versus HPA access stress and sex hormones, maybe keto and women's hormones. I don't know. It could be three more episodes right there, um, but we'll get there. Yes. We, yes. we won't leave you guys hanging. Um, but let's get back on the birth control story here today. Um, and I guess let's talk about, you know, in the early months of actually stopping the pill or um, if dealing with hormone dominance or imbalance um, that continues, what do you recommend to actually reset the body post birth control? Yeah. So in last episode, we talked about the importance of taking a prenatal if you're in with, within that age. I recommend a prenatal that has methylated B vitamins for at least a year prior to trying to get pregnant. Um, so women of fertile age, that could be a great nutritionally supporting compound, which is going to replete those deficiency trends that we talked about in episode 106. Or you could even consider like our multi-defense as an option as well. But our multi-avail mama, which is our newly released prenatal, is a great tool um, to help to replete deficiency trends. Now, if we're talking about imbalance or hormone dominance, as you asked, um, some of the best things that we want to think about is how to detox the exogenous. So for years, many women, 10 plus years, they've been taking synthetic hormone which exogenous means, again, outside from the body, right? So it's either oral or it's through an IUD or it's through a shot or a patch. And these hormones shut down the natural hormone cycles of the body and the feedback mechanisms. So we want to get them out as quickly as possible. My first recommendation is nutritional detoxification. And that can be accelerated with supporting body fat loss. If you're holding body weight in the form of fat, your fat cells or adipocytes function as estrogenic tissue. So using a ketogenic diet would be a very good approach to burn fat as your primary fuel source and release 
the estrogen in those fat cells. And this is why we talk about the importance of detox with keto. I forget what episode that was. It was an epic one as well. Yeah, I'll make sure we um, get to it. We will, yeah. Because, you know, when you're using fat as fuel, you are upregulating the breakdown of a lot of those endocrine disrupting chemicals, which can further interfere with sexual hormones. And, you know, your birth control itself is an endocrine disruptor. So fat loss and release is key, but also nutritional detoxification. So daily, I would recommend the ultimate detox. Um, This is a great formula that you can take two at bed, two in the morning, especially if you're dealing with like hormonal acne, or you're dealing with a cycle that goes beyond that 26 to 35 day length. Um, This is going to help to again, encapsulate and excrete those hormones that are in a dominant level that are throwing things off. And then I would also highly recommend our 10-day detox to actually do that entire diet using the 10-day detox ebook and using the Reset, Restore, Renew 10-day detox packs strategically to really change out the oil in the tank of the body. And this should be done quarterly Um, I recommend for really everyone, but if financially, you know, a little bit tight, at least semi-annually, but quarterly until you get hormonal balance established, the 10-day detox. Sure. And so that's something you could do, you know, in that first month or two that you've come off birth control to, like you said, reset the system. And our our 10-day detox... ebook is going to include, like Allie said, a meal plan. Um, It's going to include recipes and um, also go through a lot of supportive elements of foods to include to help the body to encapsulate and excrete, remove toxins from the body. Um, And the packs themselves have both phase one and phase two, which you've probably heard us talk about, but if not, um, I'll link to that detox and keto um, episode, but phase one and phase two support. So helping with the release of toxins from our fat cells and then helping to safely remove those from the body. Um, and not just toxins, but obviously the, the excessive estrogen would be the piece of the puzzle that we're really looking to remove in this case. And also progestin, which we talked about a lot in episode 106, which is synthetic progesterone. So you could have excessive progestin in the body, and that could be perpetuating your estrogen dominance as well. So just across the board, I think a really good reset for the body. And yeah, the packs have five supplement pills per pack. Three of them are phase two supporting encapsulation excretion. One is an antioxidant blend with compounds that support the liver and gallbladder. And then the other one is phase one enzyme support blend, which is the conversion of these fat-soluble steroid toxins, making them water-soluble. So really fantastic tool. And um, I'd also recommend if you're looking and seeking fertility um, and you were taking some form of birth control, cellular antioxidants beyond the multivitamin. So our cellular antioxidants is a form of B6, which is a high deficiency trend. Um, B6, remember, is a cofactor to our neurotransmitters. So when we're talking about depression, anxiety, a lot of the side effects of birth control, B6 could be a tool of why that's happening. And then the cellular antioxidants for fertility have N-acetylcysteine and S-acetylglutathione. Basically, these are long words, but these are the granddaddy antioxidants, and these play a huge role in our follicular health and our egg health. So really important. Even if we're doing like IVF and egg retrieval, I always put my clients on cellular antioxidants for a minimum 30 days prior to IVF cycles. 
Sure. That makes so much sense to like protect the healthy eggs that we do have um, Mm -hmm. and um, that follicular health. Um, So what about things like maca and Vitex? I know I see a lot of women putting themselves on these. Um, Are those things that are safe to use if we haven't done hormonal testing and how do they actually work? Yeah, it's a great question. So I am a fan of some, you know, base hormone modulators, if you will, without testing. So of course, like I said, get your nutrients intact, work the detox process. The relax and regulate I previously mentioned is a fantastic hormone regulator because it has inositol in it. And inositol is a powerful B vitamin derivative, which is used in PCOS. It helps with hormone balance in the body by cellular signaling, but it doesn't drive one directional. So that's a great tool as well, the relax and regulate powder. It also has that magnesium, which is often depleted with use of uh, birth control. But maca and vitex are are herbs. So maca, well, maca is a Peruvian root. Um, This has been used for thousands of years. And it does stimulate the pituitary in the brain. So remember, the pituitary can go towards the adrenals in fight or flight mode or the ovaries. Maca is one that I find to be very sound. Um, It does aid with libido. It does tend to aid with maintaining healthy progesterone or supporting uh, stimulation of progesterone. But it is not a phytoprogesterone. Whereas like we talked about in the last episode, uh, flaxseed can work as a phytoestrogen and can actually modify the expression of estrogen, maca does not function as progesterone. It just helps the gland, the pituitary, to reset its focus beyond just the adrenals as an adaptogen to get some lovin' to the ovaries. So I find that to be very powerful at like a one to two gram dosage, or if you're using a powdered form, like one to two teaspoon, but not much beyond that because then it can drive excess stimulation. Vitex, on the other hand, um, it can be a tool based on where your prolactin levels are. So if you know your prolactin levels, prolactin is made by the pituitary as well. If prolactin levels are elevated, which can happen with chronic stress and often is seen with infertility, then Vitex or chasteberry, as it's also known, um, can be a positive because it actually gives this HPO access feedback interacts with our anterior pituitary and it reduces prolactin expression. Um, And so, you know, when we see prolactin, we think of breast milk production. Um, That's what prevents ovulation if you're breastfeeding. Prolactin levels stay elevated. Um, And that's what also would prevent ovulation if you're dealing with infertility or you're anovulatory and you're not breastfeeding and you're someone who's trying to get pregnant. So I'm not a fan, though, for that reason of using Vitex um, if we don't know our hormone levels um, because it's really only appropriate if prolactin is high. And it's not a good tool if we have PCOS because it can actually increase our LH levels. We want an FSH to LH ratio of like a one-to-one, which that's your follicular stimulating and luteinizing hormone. Um, And often keto helps to balance that FSH-LH relationship, but Vitex can interfere and throw up the LH, and that can then interfere with the influence of egg release um, and and that post-egg release period. So just being mindful, Vitex, again, just to be kind of clear, is not one I recommend without testing and without a practitioner that knows what's going on in your body hormonally. So a lot of like traditional Chinese medicine um, and acupuncturists and such recommend Chaseberry. I say don't use unless you know where your FSH-LH ratio is and 
consider only if you have elevated prolactin levels as a short-term intervention. Cool. I think that's super helpful. Um, and maca, back to that one, um, can be used in a capsule form, which I'll make sure we link to, as well as a powdered form, um, and has the added benefit of helping with libido. For sure. Uh, if yeah. If we libido with our birth control, this can kind of help to get you your groove back. For sure. For sure. I think it's a powerful tool. And um, as an adaptogen, it helps with stress support as well. Yes. 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 Awesome. So before we close things out, um, just want to give a few more practical tips in terms of food as medicine. We talked through seed cycling and anti-inflammatory support, as well as having enough B vitamins and minerals in their bioavailable form um, and supporting our stress levels to aid in regulating our cycle. We did that all last episode and some this episode, um, but I want to um, highlight just a couple more food as medicine recipes to help to balance out hormones. So I would throw in probably our maca cacao fat bombs as one. Yeah. Since we're on that train. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we talked about a lot in last episode, the importance of fats and how fats really aid with hormone production in the body and how often, again, you want to kind of clean out those fat cells in the body with detox, but we need ample fats to get into the reset and getting your body to be a hormone driver. So definitely something as a transitional tool. And like you said, the maca can help with libido. It can help with that stress response. So that's a great tool. And then even adding maca to a smoothie is a fantastic tool. I would highlight our um, simple dressed avocado in the Naturally Nourished Cookbook. Um, So this would be a super great one because avocado itself is a great source of folate. It's a great source of also pretty much most of our B vitamins, a great source of potassium for those of us that need that electrolyte balance if we're doing a lower carbohydrate diet. And then we use pepitas, which are a great source of zinc. This is going to help to stimulate progesterone in the body and balance out also testosterone in the body, reducing excess estrogen. Um, So really nice. It, It has lime juice on there for vitamin C, which also helps free radical damage in the body as an antioxidant. So the simple dressed avocado would be a great tool for that or using all of those in- ingredients throughout your day, whether you throw pumpkin seeds on your salad or on top of your carnitas for a crunch, um, all of this would work beautifully. Awesome. And then how about maybe a smoothie recipe I'm thinking? We have a, um, I believe it's a chocolate something boost. Um, I'll make sure I link to it. There's a fertility boost one. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And any, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anything honestly that has greens and fat is something I would focus on. So, so many of our salads that we have, um, on the blog, we'll link a couple favorites. Um, and then I would also focus on cruciferous vegetables. So, um, you know, recipes that have I three C's or Eindel three carbonyls. So like my, uh, uh, twice baked cauliflower recipe or our buffalo cauliflower in the naturally nourished cookbook. Um, just doing a simple roasted broccoli with seasonings and making it nice and charry. Uh, so the household likes that crunch and salt. Um, that's going to help to regulate the hormone action in the body and also give us that folate and B vitamin support and the minerals like chromium really high in broccoli, which helps with um, re- resetting sexual hormone balance. So I think just like episode 106, we provided you guys with so much information. Um, I'm going to provide you a link to the Daisy with $20 off. 
Um, we will give you all links to these recipes we've discussed as well as supplement interventions. Hopefully you've wrapped your mind around how the cycle of the body works, areas where you may need to pinpoint a little bit of concerted effort to create balance and harmony in your body. And you have some solutions to get on top of you holding the reins of control of what your sex hormones are telling your body and how you can use those optimally to work for you and your household with your own family planning. Awesome. So as always, guys, if you enjoyed today's episode and haven't done so already, or even if you have, um, please pop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the podcast. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.